Right, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to be Queer podcast. Today's guest is Miles Russell, who's from one of our sponsors for the Queer Student Awards this year, WTW. Hello, Miles. Hi, Steve. Great to meet you. Hello. Hello. Great to meet you too. Let's start by giving the listeners a little bit of a potted history about yourself. Um, Give us an introduction to Miles. Okay, Steve. Potted history. Well, um... So, yes, I currently work, as you said, for a company called WCW, which is a, a global um, professional services firm. Um, I'm in my mid-50s now. I turn 55 in two months' time. So um, not that I feel a day over 30, of course, but um, <laughs> I've been working now for over 30 years. Um, so I started working and graduated and started working in 1990. Uh, and going back then, for those of you who Probably some of you were only started to be born in the 90s or maybe weren't even born last century. But um, things were very different in 1990. And I started working at the beginning in the civil service. I actually worked in Whitehall for for six years. Um, I've been out and gay, openly proud and gay since 1990, basically since I was working. In fact, I came out at university probably in my think my second year at university to be honest i was at the university of warwick mm-hmm. so in 1988 89 i probably came out to my friends and family at that point so when i started work i just kind of it was very seamless actually i just remained out the moment i started working um and perhaps i am one of the lucky ones in that literally in my 30 plus year career i've worked in many different places both public sector and private sector and often in environments, I've worked for many years in the city, in the city of London, in financial services, which is a, a fairly, you might consider to be a traditionally male-dominated, straight, quite macho, actually, environment in some respects. And although it has improved in recent years, uh, that was certainly very true in the 90s and the early noughties, I think. And to an extent, that kind of culture still exists today in 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 many companies um i'm pleased to say at wtw where i've been working now for over 10 years um that has not been my experience at all and certainly i've always been very open with everybody from the get-go um and today i have apart from my my side well my day job i should say at wtw is in communications mm-hmm. um i'm the global head of external communications so um essentially pr media and I work for the company globally, based here in London. Um, and I guess throughout my my 10 years at Willis, um, in addition to my communications role, I've also just last year be- become the global exec sponsor for the LGBTQ plus network. So we have a whole series of inclusion and diversity networks at yeah. WCW globally. And I'm now the global sponsor for our particular community. Um and it's given me, it's been great for me, actually, because I, one thing I feel that I've not done perhaps for the last 30 plus years in my career is been particularly, you know, supportive of our community at work. I mean, I, of course, I've always been open about myself personally, but I've never become actively involved in this kind of a network. Mm. So the last year has been, in fact, incredibly valuable for me personally in terms of putting something back into the community, so to speak. And apart from doing my day job, which <laughs> takes up most of my time, I'm now actually supporting people more actively um, with a whole series of initiatives around the company globally, not just here in the UK. So that's me. 
Excellent. Thank you. And I mean, interesting point. There. So what, what drew you to that point of going, I want to do more than I'm already doing um, to, within the organisation for the LGBTQ plus community? I think a couple of things, actually, Steve. One is partly age-driven. There was a realisation on my part that, uh, you know, I am in my mid-50s now, and I'm not sure how many more years I'm going to carry on working, but um, I thought, actually, it's time to do something above and beyond just the day job, um, and they need to make some some time for that. And also, I have a sense at the moment, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but I have this sense at the moment that things are changing and not necessarily for the better. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is, uh, for example, um, I've been traveling for work in the US the last couple of weeks. And one of the stories that's been kind of hitting the headlines in US news, and I th- it has been covered here as well, but it's been very high profile in the US, has been a story that to me kind of just is the tip of the iceberg in terms of some of the challenges that our community is facing globally mm-hmm. now. So the story that was in the US that some of you, some of your listeners may be familiar with is a commercial one involving a big company called Anheuser-Busch InBev that own well-known brands like uh, Bud Light, Miller, Corona, uh, well-known beer brands. And they went into a recent, they had a partnership with a transgender influencer yeah. in the US. And they produced a beer can and they put this individual's uh, face on the can and sent it to her. It was just a one-off special can as a kind of thank you to her. And then there was a post on social media. And this went viral in a very negative way because it was basically hijacked by uh, a populist right-wing movement in the US. As a result of this huge social media backlash from the one particular section of the, the community, the company lost over 20% in sales overnight so it had a massive commercial impact in a very negative way and to me that story speaks to some of the challenges that we're facing at the moment whereby people of my generation have got to a point where we perhaps took things for granted Mm. and having gone through years of campaigning and achieved equality so for example i am married to my husband my spanish husband uh, we've been married now for over four years. We've been together for 28 years, but only married for four. We were slow to get around to see or not. Um, and, you know, the, the fact is that things have changed so much. I think uh, we got to a point, I think, a very good place as a community where certainly in the number of countries around the world, not least here in the UK and in the US, where we had equal rights. And I feel that those are now potentially under threat. Mm. And therefore, we shouldn't take things for granted. And so going back to your original question, why am I getting involved now? Because I'm seeing and hearing these sorts of stories around the world that give me genuine cause for concern that we shouldn't take our rights for granted and we need to step up and we need to challenge. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that was, it's really interesting, actually, that you're talking about that. I had a conversation yesterday. I was a, a guest myself on somebody else's podcast and we were recording yesterday and they asked me a question around kind of what I feel, um, what's my definition of the word privilege. And as you were speaking there, it reminded me of the answer I gave. And part of that answer was me saying that some of my own personal privilege is that I live in a time where I can be who I am and can get married 
Um, but then at the same time, even hearing myself saying it out loud again now and the day after, that that's not necessarily accepted by everybody. There is backlash for it. It's still there. It's, there's an undercurrent that has been there, that will have been there, I'm, I'm guessing, for the last 30 years and beyond. But it's there's a big wave coming with it at the moment where there's just a lot of polarisation and our community is being used, in my opinion, as a tool to help kind of strengthen that polarisation as well. It is. And I, I, funny enough, I mean, speaking to the US as an example, I think absolutely that is the case. And there have been some defining social issues, whether it's abortion, whether it's LGBTQ plus rights, etc., that have been hijacked by certain groups for their own political purposes mm. in a very negative way. So and I think it's awful that communities like ours are being kind of used as a pawn in those sorts of polarizing debates. It's very unfortunate. Mm. And so looking back over your career today, what would you say would be some of the highlights for yourself that stand out, um, not just at WTW, but just across um, across the last 30 years? Well, there's a, there's a challenging question. <laughs> I think for me, the highlights have been, you know, one of the highlights for me looking back has been the diversity of opportunity. Mm. Uh, and again, you know, relevant to, to the audience for this podcast, I think, you know, being an openly gay man um, at work, I feel has never prevented me from actually achieving my, my full potential. Um, I've never felt once in any of the places that I've worked that I missed out on opportunities for promotion or particular experiences, projects, uh, because of being openly gay. So maybe I am very fortunate in having been in that position. Um, I think, you know, looking back, one of the, one of the advantages, I think, or something for me personally is your approach to work is so important. And I've never felt that, for example, I've, made a big deal of it. I've always been quite a, a subtle person, perhaps, maybe an introvert at times, but I've never sort of made a big thing of being gay. So it's always been a very natural sort of, if someone asks me the question and says, for example, you know, what did you do at the weekend? And I'll say, I went for, you know, my husband and I went away for the weekend or whatever, you know, so I'm always very open and honest in answering a question, but I don't necessarily, it's not, the most important thing to me. My sexuality is part of me, but it's not something that I've really kind of pushed mm. to the forefront of me as a person. Yeah. So, and, and I think, I, I think that's probably helped me in my career in terms of perhaps overcoming some of the, the prejudices and discrimination that we know are there everywhere to an extent. They're always there wherever you are in society. And the workplace is no different. But I think perhaps a slightly more subtle approach on my part has has served me in that respect in terms of getting those opportunities. Yeah. It's interesting that because I can kind of it resonates with some of my own experiences. I've spent time working in professional services and uh, as a classroom teacher, and there were very different environments. There was one where I would have loved to have been able to share more about my life outside of work but I didn't feel it was necessarily appropriate. Um, although I was concerned that it was it would attract the wrong attention. 
um, if that's the right way of phrasing it. Um, and then a workplace that helped me to feel very comfortable about uh, who I was and able, therefore, to openly share things about what was going on in my personal life or what I'd done at the weekend and who that group of people that I'd kind of done those things with were. And a lot of that for me when I was back in, in, the, in the private sector was to do with how the organisation cultivated a, a culture of openness with people is that has that been your experiences even if you if you even if you feel I suppose what I'm getting at even if you feel that you've perhaps been subtle about it it's not necessarily something that you need to go singing and dancing about off from the rooftops I would I would suggest that's an indication that the place where you were working facilitated that to a degree I think that's right the, the reality is, I mean, certainly my experience the last 10 years at WCW has been, it's been a very open culture and, and very supportive of of all aspects, actually, of inclusion and diversity. And maybe that's partly because, maybe it's partly because the company is actually in that business. One of the things the company does is actually advise clients on inclusion and diversity. It, it, it's, you know, one of our areas of focus is about the workplace yeah. and culture um and employee engagement so that probably helps and i think we've replicated what we do for our clients externally in terms of our culture internally for our kind of 45 46000 colleagues globally so i think that has certainly helped but even even despite that though and i think you and probably maybe some others can this will resonate with there is still today situations where i find i might be at a work event and I'm talking to someone and they ask me a question and I actually, I slightly pause because I'm looking at the individual I'm talking to and thinking, you just know, kind of maybe it's judgmental on my part, but you have a sense that this person probably isn't necessarily in tune with me, let's put it that way. And you kind of, you feel slightly reluctant almost to say, my husband. No. No. I still get the words out there. But I'm not exactly, as you put it, I'm not exactly singing about it. <laughs> I say it. You say it slightly reluctantly, I think. Um, yeah. There are some people you, will, you feel more comfortable talking about this with than others. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an element there. And I'm, I'm just thinking of a question now that might it might make you chuckle. I hope it does. But kind of um, if you're if you have a, um, a communications type role, you're working on kind of press media type things. I've worked in similar kind of roles before and you get used to working out how to present something and what to edit in and out. That sounds to me a degree of kind of making a judgment on the spot of whether or not you're going to share a part of yourself because you're already thinking. And a lot of um, a lot of people that belong to the LGBTQ plus community are were probably resonating with this if they're listening now, that every time that you get to that moment where you think, should I share, where there's an element of censoring that goes, self-censoring, filtering that goes on. I think that's true. I think self-censorship, self-editing, whichever term you want to use, I think, but you know, I think that's true for everyone, isn't it, in life, actually, regardless of whether you're, you know, a member of the LGBTQ plus community or, or other. I think everybody goes through life, I think most people at least anyway, with a degree of self-censorship in terms of 
what you choose to share with individuals, whether it's actually in, at work or outside work. Funnily yeah. enough, I think that's we all we all do that to a degree. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think that's absolutely valid in terms of, you know, a member of our community. Absolutely. Mm. I think I yeah I would agree. I think I, I think kind of the the slight the difference that the majority of people that might do that would be that um I would argue that it's they don't necessarily having to assess um the level of danger or threat, particularly for some people within the LGBTQ plus community who are being openly attacked in the media by governments, um, that it's not even a case of even thinking about whether or not you're going to say anything you just don't because there's a there's a risk or a threat to life in a sad way well it, so you raise a very important point there i mean i i think you know working for a global company clearly we have operations and therefore employees in countries where it is illegal to be gay yeah um and as a company, we take the view that what we can control is what happens within our own four walls. So regardless of whether we're talking about various countries around the world where being gay may be illegal or at the very best, you know, seriously frowned upon, um, I think in those countries, we support our people internally and make sure that they feel that they're, they're able to be themselves at work but there's little we can do outside of our four walls. We have no control over that. Mm. But I appreciate that in cultures like that, I think um, it is very difficult for colleagues to feel truly open at work because they might feel that someone would report them externally Mm. and that then socially they'd have serious problems with their family, friends, et cetera, outside of the office. So it's a, it is a real challenge. Mm. Um. And thinking um, more recently in your career and um, any experiences that you might have had um, at W2W specifically, but kind of what have been some of the more recent challenges that you've had to tackle at work? I know before we started recording, you and I were talking about the effect of the pandemic on how we're working. What what is What does the world of work look like for you? I think the world of work has changed quite dramatically and I think it probably has for many people, if not most people as a result of the pandemic. I mean, I think uh, three years of, of, for many people, isolation uh, was a real challenge. And I think, you know, for me personally, it was okay because I actually quite enjoyed just being at home. (laughs) I'm lucky. Uh, We have a nice space at home. We had a big garden um, you know, I could take the dog out for a walk. I could still do all of my job remotely working at home. I was kind of fully operational, but in my own space. And quite frankly, we were very comfortable mm-hmm. uh, throughout the pandemic. We were lucky. Um, I appreciate the fact that there were many colleagues who I was speaking to who were not in the same position. And I think there were huge challenges for some people, not least, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community who, particularly young people who were perhaps at home in an environment, they felt trapped, they were unable to go out, see friends, mix members of the community and lead a kind of, you know, a normal social life mm. um, and, and interact with people. And I think there were some serious um, challenges for people. I think mental mental health, mental well-being suffered a great deal. 
for many people during the pandemic. And I think the consequences of that are still there for many people. I think, you know, at, at our company, we've been very fortunate in the sense that post pandemic, we haven't, we haven't had this kind of black and white approach of, you know, you have to be back in the office five days a week. I know there are many companies that have kind of instructed people to do that. We've generally adopted a very hybrid approach. So personally, I need to go into the office maybe, you know, one day a week, one day every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's for a very specific purpose to actually go and meet members of my team or have other meetings. And then I come home again. So what I don't do is go into the office just to kind of sit there and do email all day mm. because actually I'm far better off doing that at home, far more productive at home. So I think the pandemic has been probably, you know, certainly in my in my 30-year career, I think the pandemic's been the single biggest challenge that I've certainly faced in 30 years. Um, and that's probably true for, for most people, actually. Mm. Challenge slash positive shift, perhaps? Oh, was the positive shift I think, well, in terms of the culture that was at W2W before the pandemic? You know, it, de it depends partly on your, I think it depends partly on your own individual personality. Mm -hmm. And also, I have to say, where you are at in your career, yeah, where you are age-wise. So I, and perhaps people in their 20s would disagree with me when I say this. I mean, I look back at my 20s when I first arrived in London and it was just such an exciting time in my life. I mean, it mm -hmm. was like, wow, here I am in London, going out all the time. You know, you worked hard, you played hard. Yeah. And my networks, the networks that I still have today professionally, are networks that were, to a very large extent, built back in the 90s, mm -hmm. in my first decade of working. And they were built through social interaction. Uh, and dare I say, they were often built in the pub, you know, after work. Um, but they were built through that kind of in-person interaction. And I and I struggle to see how young people today who are not necessarily in an office environment, um, how they develop the same kind of networks, those lifelong relationships, actually, just through a computer screen. Mm. I, I struggle with that. Maybe someone in their twenties would would argue and say, actually, no, it works for that generation. But I just I I struggle to see how those networks can be developed in quite the same way as they can be in person. Yeah, I mean, um, we were discussing this again before we started recording, weren't we? But I think um, there's 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 pros and cons to the the shifts that have happened and one of the cons is that the actual physical contact time between us as colleagues and just generally as people has reduced considerably um i suppose there's an argument there that with the arrival of a kind of social media it was kind of just starting to bubble away just as i was graduating from university back in the early 2000s that that was the, the slow burn of, of kind of what we're experiencing today because that took us on to those digital online spaces in the first place. And it was just the pandemic that massively changed how we interact in, in that way. And, but like you were saying, kind of it's interesting when you're thinking about how people are returning into offices. 
I've got very kind of clear opinions of my own around kind of how we should be using the office space and, and the time that we're there. And I think that's, I personally feel that that's the opportunity for employers to embrace and almost showcase the culture that they um, share with candidates when they're applying to apprenticeship roles, graduate roles, experienced higher roles, to kind of show that when we're in the office, this is how we live our culture. When we're at home, you I think can still I've... live the culture, but that's kind of when you roll your sleeves up and get the work done that needs to be done. You can have both, um, but I can see your point there of kind of how that you, there is a limit to how much you can develop certain skills working virtually. But I, I think flexibility is the key. And I think it's important that companies recognize that it's this kind of blended approach that probably works best, both from the company, from the business perspective, but also from the point of view of the, the employee as well. And um, I mean, I, I readily admit, I mean, you know, I can be an introvert sometimes, but, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, I enjoy the fact that we now seem to have permanently shifted as, as WTW, as our company, to that hybrid approach where I can actually work from home most of the time. Mm. Um, and I find that to be hugely productive, actually, for me, and quite frankly, for the company. But equally, I love being able to go into the office and see members of my team. And actually, you know, often it's to go in and we'll go for lunch, or we'll go out for a dinner or whatever. And you just can't do that on a computer screen. And and you have a kind of you have a conversation that you simply wouldn't have as a team, if you weren't meeting in person. And I and I do miss that social interaction. And there's that classic phrase, you know, the water cooler moment. And I, you know, I, and I think there is some truth in that. I mean, I, funny enough, just being in, in our offices in the US the last couple of weeks traveling, the, there were th ideas and topics that came up just meeting people over a cup of coffee in the office that simply would never have happened if I'd just been working remotely from home. So I, I think there are, there's information sharing ideas that come up spontaneously, randomly, that that can only happen in person. Yeah, and I would agree. And you, I was just smiling to myself when you mentioned water cooler moments there, just because I remember right at the start of the pandemic, I've, I've done work in the past and a part of the, the membership for the Institute of Student Employers. And one of the first things that I noticed in particular for myself, because I was only at that point 18 months, two years into working for myself and had got into really good habits of maintaining networking in person and going to social events and then had that stripped away from me and thinking, how do I keep that going whilst we're all being asked to stay at home? Um, and tr attempted to set up a kind of it was it was effectively just a Zoom call that anybody could join, but it, we, I called it the water cooler. Um, and the idea was exactly what you were saying. It was for people to come along and they could share things professionally, but it was a support group, essentially, for people that were maybe feeling a little bit lonely, didn't quite know what was going on. But also there were there's, there was a lot of sitting around that happened during that period. And I'm a very creative person. And when I'm sitting idly, that tends to be when a lot of ideas start to bubble away in my head and I start to come up with things like this podcast, like the Queer Student Awards and things. Um, and it was it was an attempt to try and bring people together, but it just didn't work virtually. 
there's just so many social cues that you miss when you're on a Zoom call. You, people talk over each other and yes. accidentally and get ve- right at the beginning and get very apologetic over talking over people. Or there's one voice that dominates that wouldn't necessarily dominate when you're having those natural moments at a water cooler versus in a meeting room where there might be somebody who has the largest voice in the room and tends to always be heard. Um, always, but, yes. Um, I, I get where you're coming from with that. Um, one of the things that I would like um, to ask you before I let you go, Miles, is the advice that you would give our listeners. Um, so it can be anything that you would like. It can be drawn from your personal life. It can be drawn professionally. It can speak directly to the um, LGBTQ plus community or anything that you've experienced. But what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I think there's one thing that I keep telling myself and, and have done for many years, which is I know we always hear this this phrase about, you know, be authentic and bring your true self to work. And I, I think the way I interpret that for me is just be honest, be honest with yourself and be honest with others. And that's about everything in life, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, whether it's the fact that you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community or whatever, but my my kind of ethos is be honest um, and be honest with other people. And in my experience, generally, that that tends to get you the best result. Yes, there will always be exceptions. People are people. Not everyone will always like you. Um, but at least be honest to yourself and trust. And the other thing I would say to myself, Steve, is, is trust your gut instinct. My, my experience over life, and this does take a few years, you get to a point where you realize, actually, your gut instinct is usually right. Trust it you know, and go with it and it will serve you well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. And that last piece there resonates specifically very well with myself. I've had a lot of moments of uh, self-doubt and uh, imposter syndrome creeping in over the years. And there's been moments where I just go, just stick to your guns, trust your gut um, and you'll be fine. And touch wood, it hasn't blown up in my face yet. So for anybody that's just listening to that and thinking, I'm not really, I'm not really buying into that, then do it. Yeah, it would be my advice. But always seek help from other people as well. I mean, I think one of the things I'm very proud of actually where I work today at WCW is the networks that we yeah. have. And, and I'm constantly communicating this message to the organisation, which is if there's someone out there that feels unable to be themselves and they feel uncomfortable in the position they're in, or they feel they have, for example, a, a manager or whatever that's not going to, to be positive towards them if they come out, then I'm always very keen to encourage those people to come and talk to me or another member of the network because it is there as a, you know, it's a support network in essence. It's there to kind of ensure that we have a genuinely open and welcoming culture. So that's key. Yeah, and I think like... um that's a really good point, actually, because sometimes I suppose there could be a danger of looking at employee resource groups, whatever label you want to attach them within a workplace and thinking that it's just a space to go and talk about issues that are relevant to that particular community and how that is going, how, how you're going to collectively change that or shift things. But you're right, they are essentially spaces where people who are like minded or from the same similar backgrounds can help each other we create a safe space and that's that's what it should be and that's what it is so yeah absolutely excellent 
Right, well, thank you so much for your time today, Miles. It's been really uh, wonderful to have a conversation with you and learn more about you and also about the ways that um, your employer, W2W, um, is helping you to, to be who you are um, and to succeed in your career there. Um, so thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. It's been great. Thank you. And for um, everybody listening as well, thank you for joining. Been great to have you with us for another episode of the podcast. As I mentioned at the start of um, the episode, um, WTW are one of our sponsors, a sponsor in the Employer of the Year category. Our shortlist this year features uh, EY and AstraZeneca. And so they'll be battling it out for that award on the evening. So do go along and have a look on the the website. And also as well, just to bring uh, Miles back into the conversation as well, we do have a playlist that goes alongside this um, podcast, which is um, features songs that have been mentioned by our guests as kind of their, their queer anthem as such. And Miles, do you want to share yours before we go? It's funny because it's a song that isn't necessarily associated with a film that's... Um, uh, uh, called, it's a film called Beaches, which uh, many of you will, I'm sure, know and has Bette Midler in it. And it's not necessarily a gay themed film, but it's a film where I've never met a gay person that didn't love this film and cry every time they watch it. Or maybe I'm just describing myself there, but it's a film that I just think it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful story of friendship and love and just kind of, kind of continuity of love. Let's put it that way and strength. So it's, um, it's a film I have a great passion for, and this song really always works for me. Let's put it that way. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. I would agree. It's a great song and a great movie, and I've cried at that one as well. So you're not on your own there. Um, it did take me a while to find the movie, though. I remember having a conversation with a friend and then being shocked and disgusted almost that I'd never watched it. <laughs> wonderful right okay so as i mentioned that's on our youtube playlist and we are building a spotify playlist to go alongside that as well which we will um continue to share through our social channels so thanks again for um joining me today miles thanks again to everybody that's been listening and we'll be back very soon with another episode of proud to be queer bye for now